The survivors need supplies. They've split up into groups of three to get them. This is the story of our players in Outbreak Undead, part of RPG Storytime. Claire, Eileen, and Carrie parked on the sidewalk right in front of the door to play clothes vintage fashion. They piled out of the side of the car closest to the store and hurried in before the wandering zombies around the intersection could get to them. Once inside with the door safely closed behind them, they had the best that the 50s through the 70s had to offer. The musty aroma of aging polyester, rayon, and other synthetics wafted through the room, which was crowded with collectibles and clothing. All three smiled. There were literally decades to go through. The three women split up and scurried down the aisles, their hands brushing across the fabrics in search of the perfect clothes. Without concern for size, they began grabbing whatever looked good, realizing they would probably fit somebody in their group. Emerging from one aisle, they came across each other coming out of other aisles. They giggled and hurried down more of them. Carrie found a shirt between two mannequins that went wonderfully with a pair of bell-bottoms she had spotted earlier. She reached forward to check it out. And as she did, the eyes of the mannequin opened! They were so fully wrapped in vintage clothing and their beards covered so much of their faces that she hadn't seen their rotted skin. Ah! Hipster zombies! She shouted. They reached for her, and she pulled back, falling into a clothing rack, swallowed among a group of hanging jackets. The other heard Carrie scream, but didn't know how to get to her. They made their way through the maze, trying to find their way to her. Claire got there first, but discovered quickly that there wasn't much she could do without a weapon other than push the zombie a bit. They turned on her, their mouths opening and their hands reaching out for her. Clara threw a rack down in front of one of them, causing it to fall. The other turned back on Carrie. Carrie was knocked back into another rack. Clothes were swaying all around her. All she could see were the clammy hands grabbing at her shirt, the chomping mouth, and the hipster hat bobbing at the top. It smelled of both death and old cigarette stains. Then Eileen appeared behind it. She smacked it over the head with an old record player. The first hit knocked a chunk out of the back of its head, and the second knocked out its brain. She turned on the other one, which was clamoring over the fallen clothes to get at Carrie. Eileen and Carrie both picked up classic records and flung them at the zombie like frisbees. One of them wedged into the back of its neck, catching his attention, but not much else. Screw this, Eileen said, and she picked up a pair of stiletto high heels. These things have to be useful for something, she said. Carrie picked up a second pair, and they faced down the zombie. The hipster zombie came at them, and the two women swung their high heels like daggers. One of Eileen's hands got nabbed in the air and held in place. The zombie opened his mouth and tried to bite down on it. Carrie took advantage of knowing where the zombie's head was going to be and used its own momentum against it, slamming the two stilettos into the zombie's eyes. It fell over still and permanently dead. Relieved, the women decided to stop playing around and get the things they needed back to the car. As they took them out, they heard in the distance a loud, horrifying scream. <coughs> Tommy, Naseba, and Ken pulled up to Burbank Ammo and Guns, not far from BWP. What they saw confused them and scared them. All the windows were shattered and the place was broken into. What was more, this was not the act of zombies. Looking inside, the place had been looted. All of the weapons and ammunition had been taken. Someone who was alive had come through. The living dead were closing in all around them. They didn't have much time to decide what to do. We'll have to figure out other weapons, I guess, Nasiba said. Are you kidding, said Ken? This is America. We've got more guns than people. Ken was right. And there were more gun stores than common sense. The small town of Burbank alone had ten gun stores. 
Three of them were along Magnolia Boulevard. One of them, Guns Direct, was a block away. They piled into their car and drove over to it. It was so close that the same zombies that had been closing in on them before were still closing in on them now. This store, too, had been looted. They had one more along Magnolia Boulevard, Gunworld, and it was a whole nine blocks away. Luckily for the trio, Gunworld hadn't been broken into yet, so the guns should still be inside. Once again, they were going to have to figure out how to get in. The iron gate in front was going to require some major cutting tools, which they would only find if they went to an industrial hardware store, which Nasiba slid it open. Someone had forgotten to lock it. They hurried in and began grabbing every gun they could find. Nasiba and Tommy tried to grab ammo, but they didn't know what bullets went with which gun. Ken knew all of them and exactly what matched with what. He even loaded some of them so they'd have what they needed. While they loaded up the car, Nasiba speculated on who might have broken into the other stores and gotten the other guns. She pointed out that this might be something to be worried about. Tommy tried to reassure her, but he was nervous too. Then they heard the scream. <coughs> Trish, Marion, and Bill were dropped off at the do-it-yourself center to grab seeds for food plants and other basic supplies. They got in easily and made sure the doors were secured behind them. They looked around cautiously and found no sign of the walking dead. They stayed together as they searched the place. It would be slower, but safer, and they would need to help each other with some of the supplies. Marion froze as she passed the front desk. There were rows of large shop knives and other cutting implements. She scooped all of them into a shopping cart and then continued further into the store. In an adjoining atrium, they found all the seeds and baby plants they could hope for. Near the back of the store, they found building materials and dirt so they could build a garden. Everything was going as easy as could be hoped. Their biggest trouble was transporting things to the front where they'd wait for the car. Then, when they turned a corner, they came face to face with a cat. It was the cat that lived in the store. People who shopped there knew that this and one other roamed the aisles. Trish realized it was probably hungry, having no one to feed it for a couple days. She also knew the others were trying to save some of the cats. So she stepped toward it, saying, Here, kitty, 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 kitty. You want some food? As if answering, the cat bore its teeth, hissing as it did. Its eyes got wide and turned blood red. Look out, Bill shouted. And another cat launched from the shelf toward Trisha. She ducked just in time, and it flew past her onto the opposite shelf, then scurried away and disappeared. Trish looked back down at the first cat and saw that it had gone. Cautiously, the three survivors continued on, searching for the things they needed while keeping their eyes out for the attack cats. They stayed together as they moved supplies to the front. As they passed down an aisle, they heard something dash past them in one direction. When they turned to look, something dashed behind them, scratching Bill's ankle as it did. He yelped in pain and knelt down. It had drawn blood. Trish went to him and Marion watched for more coming. She saw nothing and heard items knocked off shelves. It had been a hit and run. They'll be coming back, she said. We need to stay out of the aisles. We need more stuff, Bill insisted. I'll be fine. This scratch could be serious, Trish said. Let's get to where we can see them coming. Bill was about to protest again, but then they heard a distant scream. <coughs> After dropping off the three at DIY, Derek, Bob, and Karen drove down Magnolia, stopping at a couple restaurants to gather ingredients and partially prepared food. They always bolted the doors behind them, then hurried into the car to continue. They ended up at Porto's, a bakery that usually had long lines outside the door, but now stood empty. The baked goods here would go bad soon, so they wanted to gather as much as they could. They barricaded the door, then grabbed bags and scooped the food into them. Derek opened the walk-in refrigerator to search for ingredients. He immediately heard the sounds of sobbing in the corner. 
he looked to find a young woman sitting away from him, curled up and shivering as she wept. Guys, Derek said. Bob and Karen responded, yes? And so did the young lady, who partially turned toward him. This couldn't be a zombie, could it? The dead couldn't talk. Derek stepped cautiously toward her, asking, Hey, are you okay? We can help. I'm so cold, she responded. We've got a place we're all staying. You'll be safe there. No need to lock yourself in a refrigerator. Derek was just behind her now. He heard her mutter again that she was cold. His hand tapped her shoulder. She looked around at him. Her face was pale, but angelic. The skin was not peeling as it had on other shambling corpses. Derek was relieved. He heard the other two from his party appear at the door behind him. It's okay, he assured them. She's a survivor. As if answering him, the woman's mouth contorted and she let out a horrific scream. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out what happens next. And if you'd like to see a visualization of this episode, check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. If you'd like to see other things written by the author of this show, you can also find that in the description. Happy gaming, everybody!